0: As the kids are making their way to their classes, if you have your Bible, and I do hope that you do, please turn in them to Acts chapter 8. This morning we are in part B of a two-part story about Philip. Just a brief biographical sketch into the life of one of the deacons of the Jerusalem church. We've learned that after he was chosen to be a deacon and after Stephen was martyred for preaching the gospel on the streets to Jerusalem and the, and the church scattered uh, because of that into the surrounding regions, Philip found himself first, as we saw last week, in Samaria. And he preached the gospel in Samaria. And the gospel took Samaria by storm and revival broke out. Well, this week we find Philip on a desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza, having been prompted by the Spirit to go down this road, God was supernaturally causing an encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch that we'll see. And as he's prompted, he meets with him, and, and Philip is obedient. He engages personally with this Ethiopian eunuch, And he is focused on the gospel as God uses Philip to bring this African to faith in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer this morning is that as we unpack the Word of God together, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, that we would grow in our trust that God is sovereignly positioning us in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our community even as a church to be on mission for Him. That He's moving us in the places where He wants us to be on mission for Him. And that our role in that, like Philip, is to be led by the Spirit, engaged with the lost, and focused on the gospel as we offer gospel hope to the hopeless around us. So let's read Acts 8, beginning in verse 26 and continuing through the end of the chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to gather as your people in your house and sing worship to you. To seek to glorify you through song, through the reading of scripture. And now, Father, as we turn to the preaching of your word, Father, we ask that you'd speak to us still, that you would keep us in a spirit of worship, humbled under your word, and anticipating you speaking to us from it. Father, I pray that you would use me, a a broken, imperfect vessel, to speak forth your word this morning. And Father, we ask that you would bear fruit in our lives and in our church in our homes and in our families through this word. Do what only you can do, Father, through your word. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So what a beautiful story we have here that Luke tells us of this faithful servant, Philip, whom we saw last week preaching the gospel in Samaria. And now we see him following the Spirit's leading by heading down this deserted road from Jerusalem to Gaza to meet up with this Ethiopian eunuch who just happens to be reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip uses that passage of Scripture to point him to Jesus. And he comes to faith and is baptized. And then Philip gets supernaturally carried away by the Spirit to another coastal town to continue preaching the gospel as this new Christian, this Ethiopian believer now, goes on rejoicing in his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. What I want to do in our time together this morning is point out three lessons, three overarching lessons that I see from this passage that give rise to three takeaways for us, three points of application for our life from this passage. The first lesson is that it's clear from this passage that Luke wants us to see that God is sovereign over his mission. God's sovereign over how his mission is carried out. What is God's mission? God's mission is to redeem all of his elect, From all peoples for his glory by the means of sending out his servants to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's God's mission to redeem all of his elect from all of the people for his glory by the means of sending out his servants to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the mission of God, and that's what this story is about fulfilling that mission the gospel is advancing it's advancing from Jerusalem into Judea and as we saw last week it's advancing into Samaria and even this morning we see that the the gospel is continuing to advance and God gives us a hint of how he's going to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth the mission of God is happening and God is sovereign over how it happens over when it happens, over to whom it happens, and by the means by which it happens. He's sovereign over it all. Another way to say this is to say that all gospel advance is according to providence. God's sovereignty and God's providence are similar but distinct ways of referring to the fact that God is in control. John Piper defines God's sovereignty as his right and his power to do what he determines to do, his, his right and his power to do that. And he further defines God's providence as sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. Or, or we could say, in layman's terms, that providence is God's sovereignty with hands and feet, employed for the service of God's divine will. God's divine mission and so if God's mission is to gather all of his elect from the nations for his glory then then providence is the exercise of God's sovereignty employed for that mission to fulfill that mission and we see God's providence all over this story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch No less, in my account, no less than a dozen times in 15 verses, we see God's hand of providence. In verse 26, we're told that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. From the very outset of this story, it's clear that Luke wants us to know that God is orchestrating this encounter. In the next verse, verse 27, when when Philip obeys that command and and goes down the road that the angel tells him to go down, we're told that Luke writes, and there was, or we could say, and there just happened to be, what? An Ethiopian eunuch that was traveling down that very same road at that very same spot at that very same time. Some say coincidence. We say God's providence. Verse 29, not only did this Ethiopian eunuch just happen to be traveling down the same road at the same spot at the same hour, but it also just happened to be that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He he had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And he just happened to be reading it at this time in which Philip walks by. In verse That was verse 28. Verse 29, we see God's providence now speaking to Philip in the spirit of God says to Philip go over and join this chariot and so whether it is God speaking to Philip through an angel of the Lord or through the the Holy Spirit of God God is providentially putting his pieces like a like a chessboard he's putting his pieces in in the right place right where he wants them in order to accomplish his mission In verse 30, Philip providentially overhears the Ethiopian reading from the prophet Isaiah. In verse 31, the Ethiopian providentially invites the stranger up into his chariot to ride with him and sit with him and read the scriptures with him. In verses 32 and 33, the passage that Isaiah is reading is providentially the passage about the suffering servant whom we know to be Jesus. In verse 34, the Ethiopian providentially asks the very perfect evangelistic setup question who is this suffering servant that the prophet is talking about and then in the next verse verse 35 Philip is given the opportunity providentially to tell him that it points to Jesus and then in verse 36 what do they come upon what what, what do they just happen to come upon on a desert road (laughs) a pool of water a pool of water and this new believer gets baptized, and then Philip is immediately and providentially, by the Spirit of God, taken away to another coastal city to continue his gospel proclamation. The thumbprint of God's providence in this story is unmistakable. But not only do we see the hand of providence in the details of the story, but we also see God's providence when we back up to 30,000 feet. And consider the meta-narrative that's happening in the book of Acts. What have we learned? Jesus has passed the baton of mission to the disciples. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what happened next? Well, just as Jesus said, the Spirit came at Pentecost. He came upon them and empowered them. And then in chapters 3, 4, and 5, those very same people, now empowered with the Spirit of God, become witnesses of Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem. They proclaim the gospel in Solomon's portico. They, they proclaim the gospel in the synagogues. They proclaim the gospel on the streets of Jerusalem. And they are jailed for it, and they are beaten for it. And ultimately, in chapter 6 and 7, we learn that they are killed for it. In chapters 6 and 7, we, we see the servant Stephen. God uses Stephen to not only preach the gospel, but suffer persecution and ultimately martyrdom. And, and his martyrdom is God's providential means of getting the gospel out of Jerusalem and into Judea and beyond. And so now we find ourselves in chapter 8 where we saw last week, not only has the gospel penetrated Judea, but now it's penetrating into the surrounding region of Samaria. And what's happening now in this morning's passage is that God is using Philip to lead this Ethiopian eunuch, a man with with some influence and importance in the royal court of Ethiopia, of Candace the queen. Someone on the order of and and akin to a a CFO or a treasurer in that royal court. God uses Philip to lead this African to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he intends to get the gospel to Africa through this African. Irenaeus, bishop of the second century, would later write that this this guy, this, this Ethiopian eunuch becomes a missionary to Ethiopians. In Philip's day, Ethiopia was the land just south of Egypt. It was larger than the national boundary of Ethiopia today. It was all that land south of Egypt. In the Hebrew, it was referred to as Cush. And it was known as the very southern boundary of the known world. Or to borrow Jesus' words, the ends of the earth. See, God is accomplishing His mission And in order to do so, he is orchestrating all of these seeming coincidences to get the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This is what God does. He's going to accomplish his mission. He's going to redeem all of his elect from among all peoples and all nations. But he's going to do it his way. And apparently his way involves using broken and imperfect people like you and I and Philip. Apparently, somehow, God is more glorified in a transmission of His gospel that uses sinners like us, saved by grace, as the very means of that transmission. And so... You think that it's a coincidence that you live where you live and that you work where you work and that you play where you play and that you get your haircut where you get your haircut and you shop where you shop and you work out where you work out. It is no coincidence. It's providence. God has you right where he wants you and where he has you is on purpose, his purpose So who is it that he's got you living next to? Who is it that he has you working with? Who is it that you just happen to encounter as you go through the routine of your life by seeming coincidence? It is no coincidence. It is providence. And so we have to learn to trust that he is providentially moving us to mission. And by the way, note that the angel doesn't say to Philip, Philip, I want you to go down this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And here's what I got planned for you. I got this Ethiopian eunuch. He's a man of some standing. He's been in Jerusalem for a while, worshiping Yahweh. He's on his way back to Ethiopia, and I'm gonna make sure that he's reading the prophet Isaiah. In fact, I'm gonna turn him to Isaiah chapter 53, and Philip, what I want you to do is I want you to use that passage of scripture to point him to Jesus, and then I'm gonna have y'all walk by a pool of water. You're gonna baptize, and then I'm gonna supernaturally carry you away to Azotus. He didn't say any of that. All he says is rise and go on the road to Gaza. That's it. He doesn't lay it all out for Philip. He just puts him in the position where he wants him, and he takes care of the rest. We're going to talk more about Philip's role in all of this in just a moment. But for now, I think Luke just wants to impress upon us that the Spirit of God was moving in His people and positioning them just so, putting them in the right spot. Both both Philip and the eunuch, by the way. And so we should likewise recognize that God is at work in our lives and the lives of His children, putting us in just the right spot where He wants us to have these sorts of divine appointments. There are no coincidences in God's kingdom, only providence. And so consider the thumbprint of God's providence in your life and in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your church, in your community. And consider your unique role in it and grow in your trust that God has you right where he wants you. Some of you need to hear that. God has you right where he wants you for his purpose. He's accomplishing his mission and he graciously uses us as his means to accomplish it. So that's our first lesson. God is sovereign over his mission and so we need to learn to trust that God is providentially moving us towards mission. For the second lesson in this passage, we turn now to to look at Philip. What do we see in Philip, and what what role does he play in this story? There's a plethora of activity on the part of Philip in this story. He, He rose and went. He ran and heard and asked. He said. He opened his mouth. He told the good news of Jesus. He baptized. He was carried away by the Spirit, and he preached the gospel. Philip is the energizer bunny of activity here in this passage. But I think we can boil all of his activity down to three primary categories. And I think that Luke holds Philip up in this passage as an example for us to follow. I believe that his activity that we see here and his role in God's mission of bringing this Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ is to be prescriptive for us today. So the second lesson is that Philip is led by the Spirit, engaged with the lost, and focused on the gospel. Let's look at each of those and see it from the Scripture. First, Philip is led by the Spirit. It's one thing for the angel of the Lord to say in verse 26, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's one thing for an angel of the Lord to say that to him. It's another thing. Philip to rise and go it's one thing for the spirit to say to Philip in verse 29 go over and join this chariot it's quite another thing for Philip to run to the chariot and inquire what he's asking and then climb up into that chariot with a stranger and read the scriptures with him and pour out the gospel to him and baptize him it's one thing for the spirit to lead Philip it's quite another thing for Philip to be led by the spirit you might say well that sounds like the same thing well it's not not quite in verse 26 an angel of the lord speaks to philip and tells philip what to do and where to go in verse 29 the spirit of the lord speaks to philip and tells philip what to do and where to go the lord is using first an angel and then the spirit of god himself to prompt Philip to go somewhere and do something. And in both cases, what does Philip do? He obeys. And so to be led by the Spirit is to be sensitive to his leading and obedient to his instruction. God uses his Spirit, and apparently in this case, an angel as well, to prompt his people To do things and go places and say things. Have you ever been prompted to pray for someone? Have you ever felt like you were led to say something to another believer? To encourage them from the word or correct them from the word? Have you ever been in a situation where it seemed like the Lord was prompting you to share the gospel with a lost person God does this listen I am not a strict cessationist and by that I mean that I don't see any biblical rationale for the cessation of the sign gifts of the spirit namely the speaking of tongues and prophecy and healing and and that sort but as one who is a very and perhaps Extremely cautious continuationist. I sometimes find myself struggling with skepticism when I hear people talk about the Spirit leading them to do something or go somewhere or do something. But church, the Spirit is at work today. He's at work today. And His prompting of His people, including and especially his prompting of his people to engage in gospel mission and and share the gospel with lost people. Surely that isn't something that only happens for Charismatics and Pentecostals. I sure hope not. Let us not be so committed to cessationism or so cautious in our continuationism or so skeptical of anything related to the Spirit's work in our lives that we end up quenching the Spirit's prompting for us to share the gospel with a lost person. In fact, what if we were to do this? What if each of us, who calls ourselves a follower of Christ this morning, that each of us in this room and downstairs were to pray today, that God would at some point this week prompt us, that the Spirit would prompt us to share the gospel with a lost person, that He would providentially, as with Philip, that He would lead us into an encounter with someone who needs Christ, needs the hope of the gospel, and that the Spirit would prompt us to share the gospel with them. Do we not think, church, that God would answer that prayer? Absolutely He would. The question is, would we be led by the Spirit and be obedient to that prompting? We've been reminded multiple times, all the way from the opening verses of chapter 6, that Philip is a man full of the Spirit. And perhaps that's the key here, to be full of the Spirit. How, how can we hope to be led by the Spirit if we're not full of the Spirit? And so let us be active in in saturating our lives with the Word of God, reading the Scriptures, growing in our prayer lives, seeking genuine and authentic biblical community with the saints so that we're filled with the Spirit and ready to hear from Him when He prompts. Now that being said, surely... We don't need to wait for a prompting from the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with a lost person. Why? Because we have what Philip didn't have, which is the New Testament scriptures that provide all kinds of commands that that is what we are supposed to do. We are to be fishers of men. We are to make disciples of all nations. And so it's not as though we need that prompting. We've been given the scriptures as a command to share the gospel with lost people. But when the Spirit prompts us, particularly to share the gospel. May we be found faithful and obedient like Philip. Second, Philip was also engaged with the lost. He was intimately and directly engaged with this Ethiopian. The Spirit just said, start down this road and join up with this chariot. The Spirit didn't say, I want you to listen to what he's reading. Use that passage to point to the gospel and share the gospel with him. The Spirit just positioned him in the right spot, and somehow Philip knew that it was his job, it was his role, it was his identity as a follower of Christ to engage with that lost person and share the gospel with them. And that's what he did. He listened to him, he heard what he was reading. He asked him questions Do you understand what you're reading about? Which is a brilliant question, by the way. Do you understand what you're reading? He climbs up into the chariot with him, he reads the scriptures with him, he listens to him as he asks questions about the scripture and then he opens his mouth and he shares the gospel with him and then baptizes him upon belief. When Jesus invited you and I to follow him, he said to us as he said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's who we are. That's what we are to do. We are to fish for men and women. This means that we listen to our neighbors. We have conversations with them. We figure out what they're reading, what they're watching, what they're feeling, what they're encountering in their life, what they're going through. And we ask them questions. What are they longing for? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? Why are those their hopes and dreams? What are they worried about? What are they anxious for? Why is there so much brokenness in the world, so much hatred, so much violence, so much suffering? And then when invited, we like Philip climb up into their life. and We read the scriptures to them and with them. And we explain the scriptures to them. And we point to Jesus from those scriptures. And we open our mouth and we share the gospel with them. Philip was engaged in the lives of the lost. He was was ready to serve them. He was ready to teach them and ready to share the gospel with them. He was convinced that this was his job. He was convinced that this was his new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ, that he was to be a fisher of men, that he was to be a missionary on mission for Jesus, sharing the gospel with the lost that God puts around him. And as a fisher of men, he knew that that meant he needed to get in the water with the fish. Friend, this morning, if you are doing that, if you are engaging with the lost and seeking to be salt and light to them and holding out the hope of the gospel to them, then praise God for your faithful witness for Jesus. For the rest of us, repentance may be in order. Lord, forgive us for neglecting to be fishers of men. Forgive us for refusing to accept that as our new identity. That we're to be foreign missionaries engaging the lost around us with the gospel. That God would forgive us for instead of that identity taking on the identity of a privileged citizen who is many times oblivious to the lost around us. Lord, help us to be more like Philip, to be ready and willing to dive in and engage and be used by him. So Philip was led by the Spirit. He was engaged with the lost, and then Philip was also focused on the gospel. Philip was laser-focused on making sure that this conversation got to Jesus. That's why he asked the eunuch if he understood what he was reading from the prophet Isaiah, so that he could point him to Jesus. Philip's primary aim here was not friendship. He was not trying to get the eunuch to like him. He wasn't trying to get the eunuch to be impressed that he knew more than he did about the prophet Isaiah. He wasn't trying to get this Ethiopian to make a tax-deductible contribution to his church. Philip was worshiping Jesus. He was glorifying God by using the scriptures to point this person to the hope that is found in the gospel. That was his aim, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I'm concerned that for me, in my interactions with the lost people that God puts into my life, that far too often, I feel like I'm more concerned about being their friend than I am being their usher that ushers them to the seat, their seat before the greatest play that the world has ever observed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Far too often, I want them to like me more than I want them to love Jesus. To go back to our pedestal illustration from last week, Far too often I'm climbing on the pedestal instead of putting Jesus on the pedestal and pointing that lost person to him. I'm a fairly big proponent of relational evangelism. That folks will care more about what we have to say about the gospel when we have a relationship with them and they can trust us. But how much of a relationship did Philip have with this Ethiopian eunuch? Not much, right? I wonder if our emphasis on relational evangelism can unintentionally sometimes hinder us from sharing the gospel because we're focused more on the relational part than the evangelism part. How long do you have to be someone's friend before you share the gospel with them, before you share Jesus with them? And if we are truly their friend, and we know that they're lost, and we don't share the hope of the gospel with them, why? Because we're afraid that we might lose that friendship? Well, then we're not really being their friend because we have the antidote antidote to the poison that they're dying from. That's not a friend, that's an enemy. That's not love, that's hate. Brothers and sisters, let us be focused on the gospel in our conversations with lost people. Because we have the antidote, we have the cure, we have the vaccine to the world's most deadly virus, sin and death. So let's be more like Philip. Let's be led by the Spirit, engaged with the lost that God puts around us. And as we're engaged with the lost, we are focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third and final lesson from this passage is that the gospel offers hope to the hopeless. The gospel offers hope to the hopeless. What is the Ethiopian reading? He's reading from... The prophet Isaiah, in particular, he's reading from the passage of Isaiah that we read from earlier, Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant. And he's quoting from the Greek version of it. That's the version that he has, the Septuagint. That's why it sounds a bit different from our English translations that are translated directly from the original Hebrew. Philip quotes from Isaiah Beginning in verse 32, he says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is from verses 7 and 8 from Isaiah 53. Verse 32 here in Acts 8 corresponds with verse 7 of Isaiah 53, and it's pretty close to our English translations. Verse 33 corresponds with verse 8 of Isaiah 53, and the nuance from the Greek translation is a bit different from what we have in our English translation, but it helps to draw out the meaning of the text. Our Isaiah 53.8, as we read from earlier, says this. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. What does that mean? That means, as Acts 8 verse 7 reads, or verse 8 reads, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. That oppression, that humiliation, in that justice was denied him as he was taken away. And then the second part of verse 8 From Isaiah 53 says this, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Again, the end of verse 33 reads, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. What does that mean? Isaiah is talking about how this suffering servant will die, will be taken away from this earth having no descendants. He'll be cut off out of the land of the living with no descendants. Who can describe his generation, he says? That is, who can describe his family? Who can describe his descendants? The generation that would come from him for his life is taken away from the earth. In other words, he won't have any. He won't have any progeny. He won't have any descendants because his life is taken away. Again, Isaiah 53, verse 8: As for his generation, as for his family, as for his generation that follows him, he was cut off out of the land of the living. In other words, he won't have any family, he won't have any descendants. You see, as a eunuch, whether he was one by choice or one by vocation, he too would have no descendants and so this helps to understand why he is so curious as to who this is speaking about because he identifies with this person in Isaiah 53 he has no hope of descendants and apparently this suffering servant in Isaiah 53 doesn't either and so he wondered who he was is this the prophet himself or or is he speaking about someone else And of course, Philip's answer comes in the very next verse, in verse 35, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Peter explained that this suffering servant was Jesus. And from the context, we learn that Philip talked a lot more about Jesus and a lot more about the gospel because it says, beginning with this passage, he told him the good news about Jesus And so the eunuch came to learn that this Jesus, through his sacrificial and atoning death and subsequent resurrection from the dead, he now has descendants and family beyond number. And though the eunuch had no hope of having physical children, now as a believer in Christ, he knows that he can have spiritual descendants beyond counting all throughout ethiopia and again according to the second century bishop irenaeus that's exactly what happens as this eunuch brings the gospel back to africa the gospel brings hope to the hopeless after coming to faith in christ the ethiopian sees water and he says to philip what keeps me from being baptized What keeps me from being baptized? Good question. You see, in that day, prior to Jesus, Old Testament baptism was an external symbol of a Gentile's repentance and conversion to the religion of Israel. And that Old Testament baptism was the way in which a non-Jew converted to Judaism and became a full-on proselyte to Judaism. But Deuteronomic law prohibited eunuchs from being full proselytes. And so Old Testament baptism was, it was something that was out of reach for him. He had come to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. He believed in Yahweh, the Jewish God. But because he was a eunuch, he would never be allowed to be a full Jew. He would never be allowed to even be a full proselyte. And he would never be allowed in the temple. But this eunuch, being a fan apparently of the prophet Isaiah, was probably also familiar with Isaiah 56, which includes the promise that even eunuchs would one day, through this suffering servant, be included in the covenant. And apparently Philip shares with him about believers' baptism and this Ethiopian who who had no hope of inclusion in Judaism could now, through faith in Christ, be fully included in God's family. And so he begs for the symbol of that promise in baptism and Philip baptizes him. Now, it's certainly not prescriptive for us to baptize our neighbors and our coworkers the moment they come to faith in Christ. I don't think that's prescriptive for us. The apostles go on to, to develop a doctrine of the ordinances of the church and how they are to be exercised in the church. And part of that is that when we are baptized, we are baptized into the church, into the body of Christ, and that is best symbolized by someone being baptized in and by the church. So what we have here is an anomaly, something that's non-normative because there was no church on that desert road. And there certainly was no church where this Ethiopian eunuch was headed. This was something that was akin to more of a pioneer missions setting where there is no church and in that kind of setting this kind of immediate baptism is certainly an option. So I don't think that part of the story is prescriptive for the New Testament church. But what is prescriptive for us is sharing the gospel in such a way that the hopeless find hope in Christ. What is prescriptive for us from this is that we would both find and offer hope in the gospel. A man who had no hope of descendants finds hope in a gospel that makes him a brand new person where he has the hope of spiritual descendants. A man who is hopelessly excluded from full participation in the religion of Yahweh, now finds himself included in the worship of Yahweh and included in the company of the redeemed who worship him as well, through his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel offers hope to the hopeless. And church, it offers hope to some of the hopelessness that some, even in this room, are walking through right now. The man who has no hope of reconciliation to God. Why? Because he has sinned so much and for so long. Can find hope in an empty tomb and a risen Christ. He has the hope of forgiveness and mercy and grace through the gospel. The woman who has been used, abused, and rejected finds hope in a Savior who's experienced the same. The Christian who has tried to live a holy life and has failed again and again and again and again finds hope in the gospel that frees him from the performance trap of trying to perform for Christ and leads him to rest in the finished work of Christ on his behalf. The gospel offers hope to the hopeless. Ultimately, that is the message that Philip offers to this Ethiopian eunuch, and that is the message that God offers to us through this passage this morning, the hopeless the hopeless, those needing forgiveness, those longing for and thirsting for refreshment, those laboring in self-effort, those stuck in spiritual apathy, the hopeless, we, the hopeless, we look to Christ and we cling to the cross and we find hope in the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. As we close in prayer, if you have never turned away from your sin and trusted in Christ as your only hope for rescue and reconciliation to a holy God, then friend, I want you to wrestle with the reality that you are hopelessly lost and you can't do anything to save yourself. And as you taste the bitterness of that hopelessness, recognize that the good news is that there is hope for sinners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray and I beg that God would save you by leading you to faith in His Son, Jesus. Lord, we thank You so much for this hope. We have no hope apart from an empty tomb. We have no hope apart from your son's life, death, and resurrection. But oh, what a confident hope that is. What a confident assurance we have that those whom you have walked across the line of faith to turn from their sins and trust in your son Jesus as their only hope for rescue, we have the hope that is the confident assurance of eternal forgiveness, of saving grace, redeeming love, and eternal mercy. Father, help us to hold out the hope of that gospel to a lost world around us that is indeed dying and going to hell without it. We thank you for the privilege and the honor that it is to be called upon to be fishers of men. Help us, Father, to be led by your Spirit, engaged with the lost, as we hold out the hope of the gospel. And may we do this, Father, not to put another notch in our spiritual belt, but to point to the beauty of who you are and glorify you. Be glorified in our obedience to your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.